Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. With the third pick in the 2019 NBA Draft, the New York Knicks select R.J. Barrett. Hello, listeners, friends, enemies, fans, cowards, and casuals alike. It's your boy Prez, at underscore Presidente on Twitter. Uh, Draft enthusiast from the Strickland, the Strick.land. And we are here for the latest episode of Draft Strickland, episode 28, with not one, but two very special guests, because these folks who are going to join me on this journey... They don't just show up as individuals. No, they show up as a motherfucking crew. All right. It's very important that you know this. So with me today, our one guest who you know from his work on the Strickland, it's Alex at Draft Film School. Um, He does most, he plies most of his trade for no ceilings. If you haven't subscribed to their newsletter or followed all 17 of them on Twitter and all of that, uh, I highly recommend you do that. Um, super helpful, informative, entertaining. And the second person, last but not least, is a first-time guest who you also should follow his work. Um, you can find him on Twitter at Draft Deeper. It's Nathan, also from No Ceilings. Before we get started, do you need to mention the Strickland has a Patreon? You can subscribe to it. There's a number of tiers. There's a $6 tier that gets you access to this pod right here in full. Pod Strickland every Friday that I do with Prez. You also get access to the mailbag that I do every other week with Jeremy and Drew. Furthermore, you get access to the Strickland Discord where we talk about the Knicks and sometimes even the Pacers um, all the time. It's great. It's wonderful. It's a very vibrant and a live community that we've created there. There's further tiers. There's a $9 tier that gets you access to my solo pod where I yell about the Knicks even more. You also get access to, and more importantly, uh, weekly articles by the wonderful Matthew Miranda, uh, arguably one of the best in the business. There are further tiers. There's a $15 tier, $30 tier, $50 tier, and $100 tier. Those get you access to a variety of other benefits like discounts on merchandise, live watch parties, listening in on a pod recording, even potentially hosting a podcast alongside us with yours truly, yourself. Uh, but whether you choose to subscribe or not, your support is appreciated. Nothing would be possible without you. I'll ask you first, Nathan, because you're the, the newer guest. How's it going? How are we today? I'm doing well. I got to make one correction for you. We aren't a crew. As Raphael Barlow says, we are, we are an army. So you got to call us the damn army. 
on draft Twitter. All right, but <laughs> all, all, all kidding aside, I'm doing well, Prez. How you doing? It is an army. Uh, I, I every I lose track of how many people <laughs> are part of the group. It's like Wu Tang, where you know there's like those like Wu Tang members who you don't know if they're part of Wu Tang who are not as popular. Like y'all are gonna get to that point very soon. Um, I just look for people with the y'all have the excellent branding with the little cartoonified profile pics and soon enough people are going to be like like i can make my own and just pretend that i'm part of no ceilings that people probably wouldn't <laughs> bat an eye um, if you so, see the orange in the background that's a it's a good way to identify any of us so yeah yeah there you go fortunately the strickland chose blue not orange as our main nyx <laughs> color so there's no confusion there um alex how's it going it's going well what an intro i mean yeah no ceilings crew definitely runs deep uh happy to be on uh you know draft strickland again one of my favorites. Very good. Very good. I will uh, leave no compliments unreturned. Believe <laughs> that. So um, the reason, dear listeners, that I have brought Nathan and Alex here today is to uh, help me with a conundrum that I have struggled with for the entirety of my one, two, three, four, five, six, seven years of caring about the draft. Um, it's hard to believe it's been that long but it started during the Chris Tapps draft and believe it or not that was like seven years ago which is crazy so uh yeah ever since then one of the types of players that I struggle the most with for a bunch of reasons we'll get into are um shooting guards who are on the ball shooting guards and you know the off ball guys that tends to be a little easier because it's a pretty smooth projection usually for those guys right like shooting specialist here become shooting specialist there whatever but for guys who are like ah the bucket getters there's so many varieties of them you know some are tall some are more combo guards and are like not ones or twos but one and a half others are good at defense some of them suck at defense so i don't know how to weigh that or evaluate that and then that's without getting into like you know, some of them have help on their teams and some of them have no help on their teams. So how do you weigh that? And usually the result of all of this is uh, for some reason more so than with wings or point guards or centers. I don't want to say I have a lot of whiffs, but I definitely have some some struggles. And uh, we're here to talk about those guys, um, a couple of those guys. But before we get into the specific players, um, I just wanted to ask the two of you, like, and it's okay if, if y'all are just great at scouting this kind of player, but like, have do you all have any approach or, or or ways you approach these kinds of like bucket getting sort of on ball two guards just in general? Yeah, I, I also struggle with uh, this archetype of prospect. Like you, I often kind of fall into traps where a guy could be super inefficient in college, but then all of a sudden it just clicks in the NBA. You look like a guy like Jordan Poole right now, who's dropping 30 points in in, in the playoffs. And in college, he was pretty inconsistent. So I've been pretty hit or miss with the shooting guards and, and the scores. Um, you know, Cam Thomas last year, I didn't know what to do with. I just threw him in the back half of the, the first round just because he could score at will. Um, but when I'm kind of looking at this group of prospects, I think scoring versatility is the one thing that I look for. Um, you know, there are specialists out there, you know, three and D specialists, people throw that out all the time. 
Um, but I'm looking for like three level scores and what can translate to the next level. So getting to the free throw line, having a mid range game, having a floater, uh, being able to create your own shot from three. Uh, those are kind of the, the key things that at least I look for in kind of a scoring uh, guard prospect. See, that was that was such a professional answer, Alex. I don't know <laughs> if I'm going to be able to bring it after something. If anybody doesn't read anything that, that Alex writes for, for No Ceilings, I mean, certainly with the Strickland crowd, I'm sure majority of the audience does. But, I mean, he does fantastic breakdowns uh, when he is able to, to contribute and write for our website. I mean, I've shown, I've shown some agents some of his stuff that he's written, and they're like, wow, this is, this is actually really impressive. And I'm like, yeah, that's why you should read all of us, obviously, but especially Alex because he has such a great job. Um, I'm not going to give as detailed of an answer, Prez. I think for me, the thing that's become the most apparent with this type of player is do they have the confidence – to be able to carry over an on-ball role into the NBA? Um, are they very comfortable getting to their spots, rising up and firing with a hand in their face? Um, that's, to me, the biggest thing that I look for in this certain type of player. I mean, you see it with guys like Alex Brod, Jordan Poole, um, who's a great example of this. Even going back to his days in Michigan, he was a very, very confident scorer slash shooter and I think in today's NBA now more than ever when you have so much open space to work with um you just need you need the confidence to be able to actually go and hunt those shots and take advantage of that space there there there's a there's a line that you sort of have to walk where if you're not as comfortable in that type of role then as you said Prez it's very very easier and much easier to point out the the off-ball guys Right. And, and that that's more of an easier translatable role coming into the NBA. But if you are a guy who shows no fear in hunting your own shot, I think you have a much better chance at actually translating that into the NBA versus somebody who hasn't shown that level of confidence or that level of willingness to accept that type of role in college moving into the NBA. I don't know what this uh, this space that you speak of is we don't we don't really see that in the garden very much but hopefully that's a new thing that the you know we could jump on that bandwagon going forward but um yeah those are all really helpful answers there's you know most of the time i i have folks on here and you know everybody's very insightful and all that but there's it's very few, it's few and far between the the instances where i'm like i should write that down and take some notes and uh because I suck at this particular part of, part of scouting and those are really good suggestions, uh, I think I'll file those away. Um, the other reason why I think this topic is interesting, well, there's two reasons. One is there's a shit ton of shooting guards in the first round this year, kind of randomly. Like, this draft is just deep in shooting guards and centers. So, you know, we we, we picked five or six of them for this dra- for this podcast and left off like another five or six who could end up being pretty solid. And just from a like statistical perspective, it's likely that one or two of them, if not more, are going to be really good just because like, if you get that many guys who have a lot of talent, even if they don't all pop, some of them will. And then that's kind of similar to last year where, you know, last year it, it wasn't just twos. It was just a crazy draft in general. But I mean, I'm just looking at, the Strickland's big boards from from last year and even going outside of like the Suggs and Moody and Green, 
you have like Zaire, who's kind of a two. You have Jaden Springer, who's like kind of a two. Trey Mann, kind of a two. James Booknight, kind of a two. Keon Johnson, kind of a two. Deuce, kind of a two. Jared Butler, Bones, Duarte, like BJ Boston. So D- Mitchell, like, th- like last year only exacerbated this problem for me because I'm like, now you have this whole other layer of like, there's all these players I like. They can't all be good, can they? When the answer is possibly yes, we're finding out from last year's ridiculous draft. So, I mean, between this year and last year, there's there's very good reason to think about this topic, and and that's why um, uh, I'm excited to to get into it with some of y'all. So we can start with the uh, the two most highly touted of, of the guys on our list, um, Johnny Davis and Ben Matherin from Wisconsin and Arizona, respectively. Um, off the bat, the first question I have is uh, not nuanced at all. It's who do you have higher of those two for, for y'all? So I have them right next to each other. Um, I have Matherin at eight and Davis at nine. Um, but obviously they're in like the same tier right after that kind of top four that I feel mm-hmm. like everyone has. Uh, so those two guys are right next to each other on my board. I'm basically the same, except I have them flip flopped. Um, <laughs> I would have, I would have Davis in the other spot and then Matherin at, at that nine slot. And again, these are all of these rankings are, are subject to change, but I'm slightly higher on Davis. Okay. That's about, uh, where I'm at as well. My question, you know, with, with those two, them being in that kind of second tier, there's definitely less worry. Like, I'm not worried about them, like, becoming busts or awful players or anything. Like, they're both solid enough and athletic and strong enough that I'm pretty confident they'll at least have some important role in the NBA going forward as, like, a role player, if if not more than that. What what I wonder with, with those two guys that is difficult is – you know, it has to do with the question of adjusting for context for this kind of player. With someone like Matherin, I see the role that he played at Arizona, and I feel like that's pretty similar to the role he'll play in the NBA. Maybe not quite like leading field goal attempt guy, but in terms of the mix of on ball and off ball and not so much ISO and some cutting, maybe a lot of cutting, a lot of transition, you know, defense that comes and goes. So with him, I think, okay, easy contextual translation because I'm a habitual overthinker. The next question (laughs) that comes in my head is, am I sleeping on him? And is there something more or a different role that I can't envision another way that I've screwed up scouting in the past is by not being imaginative enough about a prospect's possible role. Like we don't have to go on this tangent, but well, that's one of the reasons why I was really low on John Kaminga. I was like, some people were like, yeah, the smartest coach ever would use him as a small ball big. And I'm like, no one's going to do that. And then the Warriors <laughs> did that. And I look like a dum dumb. So now when I look at these guys, I'm like, am I, am I missing a different role? Whatever, whatever. How do you guys see Matherin's role or possible roles in the NBA? I mean, I don't, I don't know how much you necessarily want him to play 
on the ball, at least at volume. And I know that's that's a similar theme that we're trying to look at with, with some of these guys. But the thing about Matherin is he can obviously get you a bucket for multiple levels on the floor. But in terms of his pull-up game, his balance on his jumper, I know that's certainly been talked about. Is, is he definitely like a pull-up shot maker in the mid-range? How is his decision-making? Can he make better decisions and make all of the passes you need him to make off of a live dribbler coming around a screen? Is that the type of role that you want him to fulfill in the NBA, or do you want him to be more of like an off-ball guy, like run him off screens, have him working off handoffs, shooting from the corner, you know, cutting along the baseline, finishing plays, lobs that way? I would lean towards that guy versus more of the on-ball creator type, and I think Johnny Davis is more ready, in my opinion, to come in and be more of that on-ball type of creator, somebody who if you need a guard to better balance your ball screen, heavier pick-and-roll, heavy-style offense, I think he's much more ready to come in and fulfill that role. I mean, any play type you want to put on synergy and evaluate Johnny Davison that involves a ball screen, he rates out pretty well um, in, in, in all of them, to be perfectly honest. And I did get to see Johnny Davis up close and personal. And one of the things that I wanted to look at was his passing. I wanted, that was one of the three things I went to go see. I wanted to see how he operated as, as a decision maker. Was he as good of a passer as I thought he was on the film? And the answer to that question was absolutely yes. Um, he could hit all the passes that I wanted to in a, in a secondary creator type of role. So I think between the two, it really comes down to what you want more for your team so I, I know that's 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 kind of like a, a very non-committal answer, but in, in my opinion, that's how I see it. Yeah, and I, I'm in a similar boat. I think both guys kind of offer different things, and depending on what you want out of your your shooting guard is kind of which prospect you would go with. Matherin, I think, is pretty easily fit into any team, um, just given the off-ball, uh, the cutting. Um, you know, the shooting, he could really do anything off ball. He's, he's shown a little bit more on ball this year compared to his freshman year. Yep. They gave him some more pick and roll uh, coverage or pick and roll responsibilities. But yeah, John Davis is clearly the better on ball creator, whether that's a shot creator or passer. Uh, so it, my only question with Johnny Davis is, is he going to be good enough on ball to warrant those touches Obviously, Wisconsin kind of leaned on them because they had to. So I don't think he'll get the usage percentage in the NBA. But will he be good enough and make enough shots uh, to be kind of that on-ball um, self-creator in the NBA? I'm not sure. But as a secondary guy, yeah, I see it for sure. I mean, I think the biggest question he's going to have to to answer. Sorry if I it, sorry if I interrupted you before you were going to oh, come back no, in, Prez. No, I was done. Um, I, I, I think – He's going to have to answer questions about the three-point shot, and I actually yep. just did a podcast that's going to come out with, with Matt Penny. Um, Steven and I recorded a podcast, and Matt wanted to discuss Johnny Davis with us specifically. And the three-point shot, I mean, if you are going to try to run him out of a more ball-screen-style offense, you want to put the ball in his hands as a secondary creator. I mean, he has to prove that if defenses choose to go underneath the screen and play him that way, is he going to be able to make them pay from deep? And the college percentages would tell you no, um, I think the mechanics are ultimately going to be fine, but it's not something that I think is going to happen overnight. Once it comes into the NBA, all of a sudden he's going to shoot like 36, 37% from three. Um, he still leaves too many shots, in my opinion, on the front of the rim. So he is going to have to make some slight adjustments to 
be more of that guy that, that Alex and I think he can be. Those are all really helpful answers. And um, hopefully, I didn't plan this, but you did touch upon something that I just finished writing about. I don't know when I'm going to drop it. If this uh, We're recording this a week before this podcast, a week and change before this podcast will be released. So maybe the timing will actually work out. Um, it's kind of a weird piece about Johnny Davis and, um, and uh, Malachi Branham and just some questions about how to use certain stats and the role of usage and context and stuff like that. And how it kind of interplays with all of this, like the super short version of it is like, I, everybody knows Johnny Davis did everything for his team on offense. But I mean, when you look into some of the numbers, it gets kind of nutty. Like nobody, like his usage was 32. RJ and John Morant had usages of 32 in college and like, Pretty much no one else did, like not including Trey Young. <laughs> like everybody else in this class, nobody approaches him. Everybody's like 27, 28, which is significantly lower. That's like the difference between that and 32 is like the difference between uh, Paolo and like whatever, like, you know, Trevor Keels or something like that. Like it's he had staggering usage. And then it shows up in the I was looking at the synergy numbers um, and one good example is um, uh, off off screens. Uh, Malachi and Johnny took about the same number of possessions, and for Malachi, that's his fourth most frequent play type, and for Johnny, it's his ninth. And that just shows you how many minutes he played, taking tons of shots. And he was actually very randomly like elite off of screens. So um, to the question that you probably discussed with Matt Penny, there's a couple of sneaky stats in there that jumped out at me. Like he was really good off screens. He was extremely good on unguarded catch and shoot shots. So um, it just got me wondering about like, all right, this is the kind of dude who, you know, he he has some secondary usage traits where the stats line up, but it's small sample. So how much do I weigh that? But then you think about his usage and then you're like, man, this guy had by far the highest usage and he rebounded more than all the top 10 guys. And he defended with a higher motor than all the top 10 guys. Like maybe, I'm, maybe this is not the one to bet against. I don't know. But um, anyway, tangent back to Matherin and, and Davis and, and roles and all of that. Um, you're right. I think with these two guys, the questions are a little bit more straightforward to be honest. than some of the other guys we'll talk about, like, you could experiment with letting Matherin get some more touches if he ends up on a more rebuilding team, right? Where like OKC or something like that. Um, you know, he started to he started to take those one or two dribble pull up threes that like, you know, they're they're not like Dame Lillard cross tween hezzy splash threes, but they're still pull up threes. Um, so those are important for him to take, even if he's not like a, a on ball guy. Um, you know the the Lonzo pull up threes. That's what I call them. And for uh, for Davis, you're right. Like he's unless he transformed into like LeBron James and Paul George, who also had a 32 percent usage rate in the NBA. Like he's not. <laughs> he's he's going to have a different role. It's going to be downshifted. So you got to see. All right, what are we expecting from the three and and other play types and stuff like that? So those questions are pretty straightforward. I don't. You know, if he shows you more, 
then you can give him more, like how the Sixers did with Maxi, or how the Knicks finally at the end of the season did with IQ, right? But you don't have to. I don't think this is either of them is a situation where the team would necessarily want to force feed them more on ball reps than they would like, which is what you see with some of these um, scoring types, because that's where their prospective value comes from. But with Matherin and Davis, uh, you have a little more certainty. So maybe you don't have to do that. Um, So like that's, that kind of gets into the next follow-up question with those two guys. And maybe the answer is pretty simple, but if you're a team that drafts them and well, let's, let's, let's be more specific. If you're the Knicks, right? Whoever yeah, we got to talk about the Knicks and we're all, we're all yeah, strapped yeah. cycling. Come on. Yeah, who cares about fucking Sam Presti and their <laughs> bullshit operation? Um, yeah, so the Knicks, assume, assume that the Knicks make some trades so there's not like 18 players who need playing time like there is right now. But like, what what is your developmental approach to guys like Davis who need the ball a little bit more or... Matherin, who maybe needs the ball a little bit less, but you got to kind of like figure out what's going on with this weird offense that doesn't have a lot of movement or spacing and all that stuff. So like, how, how are you approaching it if you guys are in charge of the Knicks? I, I will definitely let Alex field this one first. <laughs> he definitely watches more Knicks basketball than I do. Yeah, sadly, I, sadly. I, yeah unfortunately. <laughs> uh, yeah, so like for Matherin, on the Knicks, I would probably use him and try to develop him as more of that off-ball guy, running off screens, cutting off ball, uh, really being a floor spacer, just given that no one else besides like Evan Fournier can really provide that off-ball right now. Uh, with Johnny Davis, I think I would give him some on-ball reps uh, in the pick and roll alongside IQ, alongside RJ. Um, you know, Obviously, this is all really dependent on what happens with Julius Randle, just given that he takes so much of the offensive possessions. Yeah, we can assume he's gone in this hypothetical. <laughs> oh, so yeah. So if he's gone, yeah. Uh, give a lot more to RJ, give a lot more to quickly, and then give some reps to, to Johnny Davis on ball, uh, create some offense. But I actually like Matherin as a better fit specifically for the Knicks, just given that I think he – kind of fits alongside their other pieces better. Um, and I, that I'm pretty high on quickly and RJ as on ball guys and maybe RJ a little less so, but I at least want to see what he could do in a better spacing situation where, uh, you know, Julius Randall isn't there and maybe a center who can, you know, shoot outside of a dunk. Uh, you know, that's something that I would like to see RJ in uh, that situation. Do you think um, if you get somebody like Davis and, you know, you take him high and you assume he's going to be a somewhat of a priority like the other guys, IQ, RJ, OB, um, do you think having someone like him get, you know, 25, 26, 27 minutes a game, um, do you think that begins to eat into the developmental reps IQ and RJ need? Or do you think there's room for those to spread around because this is something I've gotten into a disagreement with some of my Strickland colleagues. Uh, I won't name names, <laughs> but their name rhymes with Finny Poo. And uh, hmm, who could that we, be? we have a slight difference of opinion in terms of um, how that might work. Uh, 
So it, I, and I and I don't really have strong feelings. I, like it's it's a legit good question and a good point, but I'm curious uh, what yeah. your thoughts are on that. Is that too many cooks in the kitchen? I don't think so. I mean, at the end of the day, none of them are superstars, right? So there's plenty of possessions to be had. There's plenty of shots to on the court, you know, barring Julius Randle trade. Uh, so I, I actually think that all three of those guys could play together, whether it's you're bringing in Johnny Davis or Matherin. They all could play with IQ and RJ as your one, two, and three. Um, and I don't really see an issue with, them kind of sharing minutes, sharing possessions. I think they all have complementary skills. I think Johnny Davis will shoot better than what the Wisconsin numbers show, just given that he will probably get some more catch and shoot opportunities. He will be able to kind of attack closeouts more. Uh, so I think either way, Matherin or Davis, I think playing them 25 minutes a game, their rookie year, if the minutes are there, obviously, depending on what they do in free agency. I wouldn't think that it would eat too much into the development of guys like IQ or RJ. Yeah, I mean, I think it's what do you want to incorporate into your offense? Like, do you want to promote a very ball movement oriented offense where you're kind of having multiple guys who can handle the rock, make decisions off a lab dribble and sort of pinball it around? Or are you looking for somebody who's much more comfortable just spacing the floor from the corner and he's more of a catch-and-shoot guy slash cut-to-the-basket guy to work off of those other two if you envision those two having the majority of the on-ball reps in, in quickly in, in RJ? I think if you're willing to be creative, stagger some minutes, stagger some roles and opportunities, there's potentially more ways to use Davis to unlock different parts of the offense particularly inside the arc. If you're looking for somebody who's much more of a natural catch and shoot kind of guy from, from three point range to play off those other two guys, then I would agree with Alex. I think Matherin's the cleaner fit. And I, I would tend to lean uh, Matherin being the cleaner fit for the Knicks overall. Though I will say if Tibbs is still the coach and he wants a rookie who's ready to come in and embrace as much responsibility as possible, in my opinion, there is not a lottery pick who's projected to go in that range right now who had more responsibility this year on both sides of the ball than, than Johnny Davis. And it was not a surprise to see his body break down sort of the way that it did no at kidding. the very end. Yeah. Because, I mean, shit. Like, <laughs> I think crazy. anybody's body keep, keep him away from Tibbs. What are you trying to do to the kid? That That is – that. well, that's what that's what Penny said. <laughs> uh, oh, really? he's, he's like, maybe I don't want Johnny Davis to, to go the route of the Knicks and be forced to play them any minutes again, but – yeah, y'all, you Knicks fans, y'all wondering how to get Tibbs to fall out of love, possibly with Alec Burks and Evan Fournier. Introduce him to Johnny Davis. Problem solved. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Slide those guys up to back up three minutes or, I don't know, send them to Westchester for all I care, whatever. Um, but th- this is actually a really good segue to um, a- another, I guess, subtype of these two guards um, who I wanted to talk about, which is the connectory two guard. Um you know, Matherin kind of fits that bill, and I didn't really know that until I dug into more film. He's not just a he's not just you know catch and shoot, go off screens, catch some dunks, some alley oops on the baseline. Like he can run a pick and a pick and roll in a pinch, and he's pretty good at it. And he's you know he's not really a driving kick guy or anything like that. But in terms of those like get the ball moving, touch pass it to the open guy, and win the advantage and put it home or somebody else touch passes it to me, I'm going to take the advantage to the bank because I'm going to dunk that shit. I'm not going up soft with no finger roll or whatever. So the Knicks absolutely 
don't have anybody like that. Obi is the closest thing to that. Um, he's exclusively a power forward for the most part. So uh, that that limits the versatility in which you can plug him in as a connector, which is the difference between him and the other guys who get pegged as connectors. Um, you know, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart, Alex Caruso. Um, uh, there's, there's a couple of guys, and depending on how you want to define it, but those are the kind of flagship connectors in my book who do a little bit of everything. Um, and Dyson Daniels, who uh, Alex wrote an excellent piece on, um, also fits that bill very cleanly, even though he's been a point guard for the Ignite and a point guard for Australia. Um, so how how do you all approach that archetype because to me what the struggle with that archetype is like i don't know how to weigh the things they're bad at on offense and i wonder if i'm if i should not care as much because they're so good at the other things like defense and connective passing and and finishing in some cases because like for most of his career like obviously lonzo struggled shooting but even even beyond that like his handle wasn't that good he couldn't really get into the paint and, you know, that's a big problem. Less of a problem if you're not a real point guard, quote unquote, alternating all caps, lowercase letters. But it, it's something that that you have to consider with someone like Dyson, who you're wor- wondering about his shot and how he'll be able to get into the paint. And Matherin, you're not worried about the shot, but like if if you just kind of accept that he is going to be who he is on offense. It's like, does his defense rise to the level of like Lonzo Caruso Hart? That's a pretty high bar because all three of those guys are killers on defense. So I don't know how to view the weaknesses in this connect perspective connector archetype dudes. So I'm curious how y'all evaluate these kinds of players. I mean, Dyson, one of the things he has in his favor when we try to compare some of these guys that we're going to talk about on this podcast is he has an elite skill in terms of his on-ball perimeter defense um, and, and even off-ball to an extent. Like This dude is ready to step into the NBA from day one and guard one through three. And it's not as common as you may think to actually say that uh, about an NBA prospect, but it is true in his case. And what he's able to do on the defensive end, I'm not sure that Matherin and Davis have another skill that I would equate out to as elite as what Dyson Daniels brings on the defensive end. Obviously there are some offensive concerns with him that I'm sure Alex could highlight as well. But at the same time, you look at what Dyson did in the second half of the G league season, mainly in in the exhibition games after the Vegas showcase, he started to get much more comfortable as an on ball playmaker overall, not just making plays for others, but also making plays for himself creating some mid-range opportunities, hitting some open three-point shots. The jumper really is the biggest key to unlocking even more of his game. But if he's going to be more of the type of shooter slash on-ball scorer that we saw the second half of the Unite season versus the first half, now you look at him with what he brings to the table as far as elite is concerned with defense. And he's this 6'7 guy with length who can see over the top of anybody else who's going to be guarding him in the backcourt. Um, you just start to put so many different things together coupled with 
that one elite thing that he can do really well. And the allure of bringing him into an NBA team becomes so much brighter. And he is somebody who I've really come around on similar to, to Alex. I know Alex is, has been higher on him for, for longer on the year, I think, than I have. But I, I've six, really started to come six, around. 6'8 eight now, according to uh, uh, Mike Schmitz from ESPN. So, you know, apparently he's he ain't done growing. Um, so, yeah, I, that's a that's a really good point. Like, if you buy the shot coming around, then the, the drive becomes a, a little bit less of a concern. If the drive comes around, then the shot becomes a little bit less of a concern. And I think I'm comfortable with one of those two things, like betting on one of those two things. So that makes it uh, a little easier, I guess. Um, Alex, what, what do you think about evaluating those guys' weaknesses? Yeah, I I always try to look for kind of a middle ground in their skills um, and then look for the outline pieces. Like Nathan mentioned, uh Tyson Daniels is, you know, point of attack defense is elite. I think he's the best guard defender in this draft. And that really just has him at a higher floor than a lot of the other connector prospects that you might run across. And yeah, the shot is, is a concern. Um, but how good of a shooter does he need to get? If you're going to play him as a secondary playmaker, um, I think he can get to, um, maybe league average or a little below league average from three. I think I actually like his driving ability more than most people. He might not have the best or tightest handle, but if you're not going to play him as your primary point guard, I think that's less of an issue. I think he, he gets downhill pretty easily. He has the size, he has the strength. And when he's at the rim, uh, he can finish pretty well. He does need to add a little bit more finishing craft, I think, and creativity when he gets there. But he has a killer floater, too. So, and being 6'8", he can get it over anyone. He's he's not going to get blocked like, you know, Sharif Cooper, uh, you know, last year was coming in at 5'11 and, and had an amazing floater. It's a little bit different when, you know, you got nine inches of differential in height there. But I, I actually think he'll, he'll be a decent enough scorer that, just the passing and the defense, I'm willing to take a bet on him as in a top 10 pick. And he's really developed his entire career. He's been in developmental systems um, since he was like a kid playing for uh, the NBA Global Academy in Australia for years and then joining Ignite last year. He was 18 years old playing against professionals all this season pretty much. And I think he held his own. I mean, at the beginning of the season, you know, Nathan mentioned he really came on strong at the end of the season. Uh, he did struggle at the beginning of the season, scoring the basketball and shooting, but he didn't let that really impact the rest of his game, which I thought was pretty good for, for a teenager to really have that composure already at his age. So he's just a guy that I really like. He's one of those glue guys that, that people mention, and you can really plug and play into pretty much any lineup. And I, and I think he's going to create positive value over the long term. The NBA playoffs means next level basketball. Get in on the first round action with DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 on any team to win and get $150 in free bets instantly. You win no matter what. All DraftKings Sportsbook customers can also bet on NBA hoops with same game parlays. Combine multiple bets from the same game for a bigger payout. The more legs you add, the more money you can win. Plus, each day of the first round, get a risk-free bet up to $10 if your same-game same game parlay doesn't hit. 
Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code TBPN. Bet $5 on any NBA team to win their game during the first round of playoffs and get $150 in free bets instantly. That's promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Minimum age and eligibility eligibility restrictions apply. See show notes for details. If you're a little higher on his driving, then that would definitely explain why uh, why you're higher on him overall because – I, I feel like most guys, you know, you, you don't get too worried about their shooting unless that shit is busted or the numbers are really horrible. And like, like when we talk about Dyson and Johnny, you know, we're talking about tweaks to their jumpers, not overhauls here. So that's pretty reliable. I mean, like even on the Knicks, we've seen, you know, RJ become go from not a good shooter to just a fine shooter. We've seen Julius go to a fine shooter. Although I don't really know what happened this year, we don't have to talk about it. But um, you know, I'm kind of with Alex on the driving, though. Like yeah. I, I, I'm not concerned either. Like when when you're when you're six seven, six eight. I mean, you can you can go with six eight. I was I was like ten feet away from him like a few months ago, and I, I would call him six seven. But either way, he's bigger than what he's listed at, right? And when you combine that size in the backcourt along with the strength, I'm so glad that Alex use the word strength when talking about more of his game, you're not able to push him off of his spots as easy as some of these other guards and deter them from getting to the basket. That's why a guy like Dyson, who might not have the most explosive first step, but has the size and the strength in his favor, he is able to do as much damage on a drive in, in, in some respects, um, as long as he's play, as long as he's reading the defense correctly and making the right decisions um, in terms of holding somebody at his hip. And he can cause as much damage as somebody who does have that explosive first step and can get around that initial layer of defense, but not necessarily know what to do when they get into more of the teeth and they get into more of the layers of the defense. And Dyson's just such an intelligent reader of the court at all times. He's such an excellent decision maker. So he's playing with that level of patience to where he doesn't have to be as explosive as some of these other guys because he has the size and the strength to get to a position and then maintain his position to make the next decision off. Yeah, it's funny with him driving, you know, a lot of guys who I want to drive more, I'll watch them and it'll be some deficiency in their game or their physical ability. And I'm like, oh, they were they were stopped from driving further. But there's a few guys like Dyson who when I watch him drive, it's usually Dyson who is the reason who he didn't drive further or why he didn't <laughs> drive further. Right. He's He knows nobody can block his floater and he can pretty much get it at a high clip in the G League whenever he wants. So he can go to it. He can wrong foot it, wrong hand it, all that shit, left, right, whatever. He's really good at it. So um, it, we, weirdly, it's it's they're they're way different, but like it, it's almost similar to it, it is similar and it's not similar to like what we see from Emmanuel quickly on the Knicks. Who you know towards the end of the season, he finally started taking that extra dribble and taking layups and scoop shots and stuff like that with him he had reason to always go to the floater he can he make a floater from the damn three-point line like come on man like <laughs> he can go that whenever the hell he wants that's one reason and the other is he was six three and skinny for most of his life probably shorter yeah. than six three he only just now got a little bit of muscle and he's a madman so he's finally just decided had the breakthrough to decide like i'm going to keep dribbling and i feel comfortable with Daniels because 
even if he never has that breakthrough to just impose his will and drive and just say fuck it like RJ does, or even if he never begins to dip his toe in the water of that last step like how quickly does, you're still working with a whole lot as a player. So it's not like a necessity. It's more like pure upside dessert. Like you don't need the dessert, but it's nice. And <laughs> you know like dessert, you know, you're not talking about buying a you know, buying a house in lower Manhattan or something. Like you can afford a dessert probably. So I think Dyson this metaphor has gone way off the rails. But Dyson, <laughs> like it, it you're making me more comfortable with him as a top ten guy, which is making me more comfortable with him dropping to the Knicks because thus far he's kind of been in my head as like the kind of guy who's a little more boring, who I will very easily talk myself into his various upsides if he if he comes to the Knicks. But now maybe that excitement will be a little more uh, a little more genuine. Um, so so thank you, Alex. <laughs> um, the next guy I want to talk about, uh, well. Let's talk about two guys together again, since that seems to be working right now. Um, Malachi Branham and Bryce McGowan's, um They're really two ends of the spectrum in a lot of ways as bucket-getting guards um, because Bryce is very inefficient. His numbers don't leap off the page. And Malachi's numbers like glow off the page like a... St- like a helicopter searchlight. <laughs> like some of them look like typos, his efficiency numbers. It's so crazy. And, you know, obviously he had the good fortune of playing on a solid team with another borderline lotto, if not straight up lotto pick prospect in EJ Liddell. Um, and not the case for, uh, for Bryce on the, what, what are they? The, the corn huskers, the, the Nebraska corn huskers. Yes, yeah. The sir. corn huskers. He didn't really have help like that. I don't think so. Uh, no, he did not. Another, another another player that I got to see up close and personal this year, thankfully, because I wanted to. But yeah, how was that, that? that? How was that, seeing him? That that team sucks, a- a- absolutely. <laughs> and I mean, he he was he was a bright spot for me, just because getting to see um, Bryce in person, I wanted to get a look at him physically because I know that he's listed at six seven, around one seventy, one seventy five, somewhere in there. But does he have the frame to be able to comfortably add more weight? Um, and, and build on his physical profile to help him further down the line in the NBA? The answer to that question is yes. I think he can safely add um, a decent more amount of bulk to his body. So so that's good news, especially considering everything he wants to do is predicated on um, a drive, and he wants to get to the basket, and he wants to try and finish through guys. He, he, he didn't finish through a ton of people at, at the college level this year, which comes back to some of the body stuff. Um, I think that won't be a problem in time, but you like to see that aggressiveness um, from Bryce McGowan. So, and, and I saw plenty of that when when I saw him live. So, I I've come away from this season probably higher on him than the vast majority of people at this point. But I mean, him and Malachi is an, is an interesting comparison because what Bryce could be is much more theoretical than what Malachi could be stepping into the NBA from day one next year. One thing that is, uh, you know, like being the number one guy and having such high usage, like we talked about it a little with Davis, it's not quite as extreme here. And the difference is Bryce has some shot selection issues at times. Um, And, you know, where you saw the passing flashes with Johnny, 
I'm curious if you saw any of that with Bryce because that's another thing. Like even if you're a bucket, like the that's threshold. a big fat no. That's right. a big fat no. Because um, even Cam Thomas, like, all right, if you're not gonna pass, you better be like fucking Cam Thomas, right? Like you gotta, you gotta be a living, breathing flamethrower. So the thing about Cam Thomas though is that even even when he was involved in pick and roll possessions and he passed out of those possessions, he still rated out like mm-hmm. really well. Um, mm-hmm. Bryce McGowan's scoring out of the pick and roll was in the 71st percentile this past year. When you factor in passes out of those play types, he drops to, to 56, which Ooh, is still rated as good. That's the but- drop I've seen with the plus <laughs> passes category because I've been digging into all those the last two days, and that is rough. Yeah, like Cam Thomas was like a 90th plus percentile, I think, in like both of those categories, if I'm not mistaken, or like very close. He was, to, yeah, to he, like was very, he was very good, yeah. Yeah, so that, I mean, whereas Cam Thomas was, I mean, so wired to score for a reason. Bryce is wired the same way, but he doesn't have some of those same passing flashes that that Cam did to fall back on. Um, Alex, what do you think about uh, Bryce's weaknesses? And, like, Nathan described him as a little bit theoretical, and, and that's largely not because of... I mean, we, you know, I'll have to, to say some good things about Bryce after, after Alex is done giving his two cents. I feel like I, all I've done is talk about the negatives, but yeah, I, I wrote, is, is I wrote a piece on, I wrote a piece on him and I highlighted enough positives. So I, I will we'll get to that. But. His, his positives for people who haven't seen him, cause I shouldn't assume everybody listening has, uh, tuned in for the Cornhuskers regularly. Um, so he's six foot seven, he's skinny, but he's like strong skinny. So more like BJ Boston than like, I don't know. <clears throat> Pick some frail person. I don't know. Whatever. Um, well, the, another guy we're going to talk about, Jaquavian Smith. Like he's he's right. skinny, like not strong skinny. He's like 160 pounds soaking wet. That's right, right, three, exactly. So. so Bryce is, um, and and it shows up in in his play style, like like you uh like you referred to. He he drives quite a lot. His free throw rate is I think over 50 percent, which is fucking Crazy. high. Yeah, yeah, that's that's pretty nuts. He has caught a few posters. Um, he has a couple of ridiculous games where he has like James Harden type stat lines and like 18 free throws in college and stuff like that. And he didn't shoot well from three. He has some shot prep issues, but like generally speaking, I love the mechanics of his jump shot, like knees up. Yes. So, the uh, upper body. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It's re- low release, really smooth, whatever. I just think he just needs to iron out like very low hanging fruit, like like choose a one, two step or a hop when you're, when you're getting a three pointer or getting a mid range shot or whatever. So stuff like that, that's real easy. So I, I would find it hard to believe I would be flabbergasted if he doesn't reach league average within like two years from three, like 34, 35% on volume. So between the free throws, the dunks, the athleticism, the drives and the shooting, and the length, that's a pretty good offensive foundation, even though he's a fucking ball hog black hole. Um, Just to, like, further bring that point <laughs> around, not that I want to say that he literally can't pass the basketball, but he attempted 397 total shots on the year and added 195 more free throw attempts to that, and he had 43 assists total on the year. So Alex knows that. Yeah, that's like the never, Greg Brown. Yes. <laughs> Yes, Alex knows that has never stopped me from from making a prospect one of my many sons. Greg Good. Brown, I still believe I'm so in glad. you. We saw you out in Portland closing out the season strong. <clears throat> Greg Brown Hive, 
population prez. I'm still here. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I, I'm Alex. I'm curious what you think of um, of of Bryson. How, just how do you weigh someone like that who's he's clearly not a top ten pick, but like if you're the Knicks, he has weaknesses, but. The Knicks' whole thing right now, one of the good things they have going for them is their guard development, which is mm-hmm. exceptional, and constructing good defenses with a mixed bag of perimeter defenders because of the way they man the back line. And generally, even with Julius being lazy and RJ taking a step back, like generally the wings are still solid for the most part on defense when, they, when they're playing well and all that. So, like... Doesn't doesn't it make sense to kind of swing for the fences here? With am I tripping? Is it am I trying too hard? Is like no, I be in the convo at eleven. I mean, why not? Right? <laughs> like, what what do you have to lose at this point? But I I like Bryce. I have him as more in the twenties, uh, you know, mid to late twenties right now. But Nathan mentioned earlier you know, looking at these scoring prospects and one trait you, you try to look at is the confidence and yeah, he's not lacking confidence. That's, that's not an issue. Um, he steps on the court and he thinks he's the best player on the court. Um, and I think it's important to have that mindset. Um, and you know, he played on a bad Nebraska team. So of course he's going to feel like he's the best player because he was, um, the shooting, I actually buy. I think he's going to be a good shooter. I think he's going to be above league average. He, you know, we mentioned the free throw rate. Uh, he shot six free throw attempts per game at an 83% clip. Uh, three pointers were, was only 27%, but a lot of those were difficult and, you know, heavily contested. So he's definitely got some things to iron out in terms of efficiency, but. You look at the size, you look at the tools, the athleticism, you all mentioned it. I mean, he's the ultimate kind of upside swing shooting guard in this class outside of like the normal, you know, top five guys like Jaden Ivey. Um, And if the Knicks took him at 11, I would get it. He wouldn't be my number one choice. But at the end of the day, it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, Bryce McGowan's one day makes all-star teams in the NBA and just figures it out. Uh, because, you know, we see guys do that all the time, like just figure out the scoring. They have the the mindset, they have the size, they have the athleticism and everything. So um, if everything clicks, I think he has kind of the highest upside of kind of this group that we've been talking about. Nathan, as somebody who isn't subjected to the Knicks and Tibbs on a regular basis, <laughs> do you think someone like Bryce or someone like Malachi would be higher on the board the draft board for a team like the Knicks or lower and that question could be interpreted in like lots of ways if you talk about like the ways they draft versus the guys they like on the court versus the guys Tibbs like etc so I'll just leave it open to interpretation for you so if we look at where the Knicks currently sit in the draft order right they're currently slotted at 11 and From that spot, I would fully expect Matherin to be off the board. So I think in terms of the next guy up, if Malachi Branham was still on the board for the Knicks, I I would run to that podium and make that pick, man. He is... So you're high on him. I've I've come around a lot more on him than I was previously. I think I am buying him as a lottery pick. 
And mm. like I said, he's whereas Bryce McGowan's could turn into one of these on-ball isolation type three-level scorers that are much rarer than we would care to admit at the wing position. Malachi Branham is, as I've dubbed him previously, the spot-up king. Like, this dude, he's not the same type of isolation wiggle scorer, but any way you want to slice it in terms of getting this guy easy touches, um, getting him to his spots, putting him in spot-up situations, handoffs, um, pick-and-roll sets, this guy is so comfortable at rising up in the mid-range, getting to his shot, finishing when he gets to the cup, open three-point shooter, forget it. I mean, the thing the thing that I talked about with the guys on the podcast that we did last night was you can't, you can't treat Malachi Branham, even his first day coming into the NBA, like he's your fourth or fifth best offensive player that you're facing that night. Like, if you put a bad defensive player on Malachi Branham – He's so smart. He's so crafty. He's going to find ways to burn you. And if you don't guard him correctly in certain coverages, like I specifically remember watching the Illinois game this year, and for whatever reason, they were just leaving him. They were just going under on screens when when he was operating out of the pick and roll. I'm like, why are you leaving this guy open, wide open three-point shots? Like, he's going to knock it down. And that was a game where he had 31 points and he kept drilling open jumper after open jumper after open jumper. And not saying that this guy's going to be like a 30-point per game score in the NBA, but he's one of these guys who if you do if you don't respect what he can do, he he has the he's liability to burn you and on any given night at any given point, putting up like twenty to, to twenty five points because of how efficient of a shooter he is overall and how crafty he is to gets to his spots and then his mechanics rising up and firing so comfortably um, in, in the teeth of the defense. And and Bryce could absolutely get to that point too. Like there may not be 14 or 15 more talented players offensively on that side of the ball in this class than Bryce, but there, there are a bunch of mechanical things you're going to have to work out with him. You're going to have to hone in the shot selection. He's going to have to become a much more better decision maker off of a live dribble, getting the ball to other spots versus holding on to it and crashing into the defense and then probably losing it because he's not going to be there from, from a strength perspective yet. So there's more things that you have to work on, but Malachi is such a short bet with what you're going to get right now. And I think playing off of RJ and quickly, I mean, you want to talk about a guy who you just, you, you don't want to leave him open. Um, and, and that would be Malachi for me. So yeah, I've, I've come around on him. Maybe he doesn't have the same on ball upside as some of these other guys, but as a complimentary player, he can really burn you in a, in a hurry, man. So I want to do two things real quick. One, I want to read off some stats just so listeners have an idea of exactly the kind of work this guy did. So he didn't have many isolations. That was not a big, according to Synergy, 3% of his possessions were isos. So he's he's not a cross between Hezzy, one-on-one type nope. of guru. At least not yet. He's th- he's a true freshman, so you know, like if he comes back next year, which is possible, it would not surprise. I don't think either of the three of us would be surprised if he had a breakthrough like we saw from a lot of the sophomores this year, because um, he's just that talented. But like the number one play type with him, like uh, similarly to Bryce and similarly to Johnny Davis, was pick and roll ball handler, and most of the time, eighty eight percent of the time, he used the screen, so he didn't reject the screen. After using the screens on pull-up jump shots, he shot 19 of 40, 
for 48%. So that's some threes, but mostly his mid-range mastery. He shot 7 of 11 on runners, so 64% on runners out of the pick and roll. And 22 of 28 for 79% at the rim. So these efficiency numbers are off the charts, and they speak to what Nathan was saying, which is um, how versatile he is and how you you can't really – because he has lots of things he can do, you can't – when someone is versatile and processes the game really quickly – it's hard to back them into a corner strategy-wise because if you play up on them, they can go by you. If you play down, they can shoot. If you play the middle ground, they could take the floater. Also, he is a very good passer as well. Um, check out Nathan's piece on his passing. So in that sense, he's, you know, I don't, I don't know if I'd consider him like a a connector or anything like that because he doesn't have that, like, see the two passes away kind of thing, but... He, he actually reminds me in some ways um, of Evan Fournier, and they're way different players, but just like in the sense that they really on offense maximize the gifts that they have. You know, one guy is a three-point shooter, one guy is a mid-range shooter, one guy is a little taller and slower, one guy is younger and springier, et cetera, et cetera. But like in, in that sense, just like Fournier tends to fit well with quickly and, and RJ because he's versatile and can spot up can come off the screen can run a pick and roll in the middle can pass it can toss up a floater i think uh malachi also could do that but um you know with the added benefit that he's probably a little more a little more athletic than evan um one thing i haven't dived dove dived into much uh is his defense um i haven't i did my stat dive deep dive on him but i haven't like gone deep dive into him and ej liddell's defense yet um where where is he at on defense because i've heard people say he's solid i've heard people say he kind of sucks i've heard people say he sucks but not like more sucky than any other 19 year old you know who's not named dyson daniels so like where are we at on that i think he's going to be a good team defender um i i think if you ask him to do too much on the ball um i, I think you could see him struggle there in in certain respects but in terms of you know fitting in with everybody else, communicating with his teammates, playing sound team defense as a guard, I think he'll be able to hold his own out there. I wouldn't call him necessarily like an above average defender, but I think he's certainly going to be good enough for his position to where he's not played off the floor and you can take advantage of all his offensive strengths. Yeah, okay. I, I think he's he'll be fine. I mean, he was a freshman. Um, you know, freshmen are going to make mistakes on the defensive end, but he was engaged for the most part and yep. actually gave effort. Um, so, I mean, that's the main thing I'm looking for. And just, you know, I, I'm sure he'll be able to cover his own, but mm-hmm. yeah, I don't view him as like a stopper or anything like that. Um, but it's definitely not going to, you know, take away from his overall game. I don't think, um, you know, if he ends up being like a net neutral on defense, I think that's a perfectly fine outcome because I, I buy the offensive upside and, um, you know, I love the passing, love the pick and roll play. I love the, the shooting and the scoring ability. So I, I think he, he'll bring enough on the offensive end that the defense, um, you know, won't, won't be too much uh, of a hindrance. So our, I, I'm assuming Alex is taking Dyson Daniels over Malachi um, at 11. Where are you at on that for the Knicks, Nathan? <sighs> Man, I... So, Dyson 
And you're not allowed to say, I'll trade down, get an asset, and get whoever's left. <laughs> so D- Dyson, I think, right now is higher for me as a prospect, but that could certainly change. And I think in particular for the Knicks, just the, the type of damage that he could cause working off of some of the guys that the Knicks have. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's tough to envision a better fit in the backcourt, at least out of all the guys that we've talked about, than, than Branham. I think he could be absolutely lethal. And just, I, I, I mean, everything you want to do with Quickly and, and RJ, right? You want them to be on-ball guys who are working out of pick and roll. You want them getting a lot of the on-ball reps. But then an NBA team has to come into a game thinking that those are two of the guys that they have to worry about and Julius Randle if he's still there. Um, but then all of a sudden you got to throw Malachi into the equation and Malachi's like this, this off ball type of threat who he can go for 20 to 25 on, on any given night. And the opposing coach is just like, shit, I got to worry about this guy too. Like I can't just like hide one of my poor guard defenders on Malachi. He's going to burn him. And I just think that that type of conundrum is very interesting playing Malachi next to other guys who are first or second offensive options and letting him be like the third or fourth guy. But all of a sudden he turns into somebody who's making the amount of shots that like a first or a second option would. And it just throws defenses into an absolute tailspin. So I think given what the Knicks have, he, he would be my guy for them. All right. You heard it. Uh, I'm always interested in, in, in who, who, who I should put a little higher on a Knicks specific board and like whether that's overthinking it because the Knicks got a lot of guys who are good but no super duper stars or whether the fit matters for developmental purposes. And, and I think I, I tend to be more in the latter camp um, and kind of espouse that thought. It's just with him and, and Dyson, it's tough for me because they both bring things that would help the other guys develop and the other guys both bring things that would help Dyson and Malachi, right? Like IQ and OB and RJ give both of those guys pace. They provide, you know, guys who can knock our rookie down the totem pole in a good way so that they don't have as much defensive attention, um, things like that. Um, I would say, I think to me, Daniels helps the other guys on the Knicks more than they help him. And with Malachi, I might have it the opposite, but either way, I'd be really happy if either of them ended up a Nick. Um, I could totally envision it. They definitely, the Knicks definitely have to unfuck the roster that is clogged with like 10 guards, old and young. Shout out Deuce, my son. I think, I think Daniels is going to be gone too, man. I think he's going to be gone too before the Knicks. Pick. Yeah, I think Alex and I are probably sure. on the same wavelength there. It'll be interesting to see where he goes. I think it depends on. I, I don't want. I don't have the list in front of me, but I could see like I think the Wizards pick before them. Yeah, I, I kind of love him for the Wizards. Yeah, I think they might scoop him up. Um, I think he'd be a good fit there too. Everybody always talks about like tie tie to the Wizard. Well, everybody stupidly talks about <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But like the people who don't do that say tie tie to the Wizards, but. Really, the galaxy brain move is Dyson to the Wizards, especially if you're trying to help Bradley Beal right now um, and let him actually get some point guard reps, which I think whatever team drafts him shouldn't just ignore that potential development path, even if it's less likely than, you know, connector Dyson. So 
the Wizards could be a, a great landing spot for him. But anyway, this isn't a Wizards podcast. This is a Knicks <laughs> podcast. So uh, thank you for stepping into Leon Rose's shoes, if only for an hour, Nathan and Alex. Um, again, you can find uh, their work with No Ceilings at No Ceilings. Is it No Ceilings on Twitter? At No Ceilings so. NBA. At No Ceilings NBA on Twitter. Um, you can find them individually at Draft Film School and at Draft Deeper, uh, also on Twitter. And y'all, if there's anything particular you want to plug, uh, definitely, uh, definitely go ahead and do that. So let the folks know if, if there's anything uh, you want to give a shout out to, or let them know that something's on the way, or whatever. Uh, I would. I'm going to plug Nathan's piece on uh, Bryce McGowan's, given that we just talked about him a lot. Um, he goes over his game in detail, and he definitely says more positive things in that piece than he did on this podcast. So <laughs> I would. Uh, I would definitely go give that a read. Um, it's very insightful, and um, I'll have a piece out on Caleb Love, who you know we didn't talk about today, but is another one of these shooting guards who doesn't lack confidence. So um, that'll be out shortly as well on No Ceilings. I'll just plug the Draft Deeper podcast really quick. As I mentioned, by the time you're listening to this podcast, you'll also be able to listen to the episode that Stephen Gillespie and I just did with Matt Penny, and we'll have another show out later in this week doing some some fun lottery type of mock stuff. We have a we have a fun exercise that Stephen and Tyler Rucker did over on the No Ceilings podcast. I think we're gonna we're gonna give that a spin this week, and we're gonna see how it turns out for us. So definitely make sure you subscribe to, to Draft Deeper wherever you get your podcasts. You heard him. Subscribe, follow, etc. Um, Alex and Nathan, thanks again for, for joining us this episode of Jeff Strickland. Listeners, we'll be back at it next week with yet another episode as our content continues to ramp up on the path to lottery night where we'll all be sad. But until then, we'll be very happy to speculate about how awesome all these guys can be when they get into the NBA. And on that note, have a good evening. We will catch you later. Our house is a mess. Come on in. I'm Amber Wallen, internet comedian, plant queen, and host of your new favorite podcast, Fly on the Wallen. Okay, that's pretty presumptuous to assume that this is going to be their favorite podcast, by the way. Like, come on, Amber. Anyway, that wasp that you just heard interrupt me is my husband. And co-host, Benjamin Wallen, also a comedian, and I host people at our home. I have a great wine collection in my cellar. Well, you it's mean cellar. the mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. It's a mini fridge. New episodes of Fly on the Wallen drop every Wednesday. Listen in as we discuss relationships, books, and keeping our sweet baby kid alive while we make laughs on the internet. Subscribe to Fly on the Wallen wherever you get your podcasts.